there are times when you hear a sermon and you feel as if the preacher is speaking just to you, as if he has some insight into your personal life, when in reality that is the Word of God brought alive by the Holy Spirit going right to your heart. Some of you are going to sense that in a powerful way today. All of us are going to hear the Word of God, and the Word will speak. But for some of you, it's going to seem like God is speaking just to you in a significant way. Let's go ahead and pray. We sing this song, Lord, about waiting here with expectation. May we not lie. May we truly actually believe what we're singing, that we have this expectation. You're going to speak truth into our lives. And for some of us, that is going to be significant today, a significant word of grace. And I'm asking, Lord, that as your word is going forth, power of the Spirit would do a significant work in the lives of your people. And even a bonus work, a significant bonus work in the lives of a few specific individuals. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever gone against God's will for your life? It is the fear that many of you have as you're trying to make big decisions with your life about careers, about majors, marriage, relationships, and a host of other decisions. And so I'm going to kind of just take the burden off of you, and I'm going to tell you this. If you're trying to make big decisions about what you're supposed to do with your life, I'm not going to complicate matters. I'm going to just tell you this. You're free to do whatever you want to do. I just simplified it for you. Within the bounds of God's moral will, wisdom from God through his word and from his people, compared with the open opportunities that you have, do what you want to do. Just make a decision. Be in prayer about it. Talk to others about it. Get in the word about it. But just make a decision and do what you want to do. But what if the decision you make goes against God's will for your life. What if you're dating somebody you shouldn't be dating, they're not following the Lord, and you end up marrying them? What then? What about when you are in some situation where you've been immoral and now you're facing the consequences of going against God's will? What then? What if you make a choice to... Go to a particular school, make a choice to move to a particular city, and the only reason that you have chosen to go to this school or to move to this city or to take this job is because you are avoiding obeying the commandments of God where you're at currently. 
There are times that you can go ahead and go to a different school. You can go ahead and move and take a different job. And there's nothing sinful about the job or the school or the move. But there's something sinful about you avoiding the reality of dealing and obeying where you're at presently. And then you move. And as I said two weeks ago, the biggest problem about moving to wherever you go next is that you take yourself with you. And if you were disobedient where you're at now, you'll be disobedient where you're at in the future. And there's consequences to this disobedience. So if you find yourself, if you have moved outside of the revealed will of God for your life, you've made bad decisions, and you're stuck, and you're experiencing the consequences, what are you supposed to do? I don't want to see a show of hands for those of you who've made decisions outside of God's will for your life. I don't want to see a show of hands because this is something that, that all of us have experienced from time to time. What are you supposed to do? For starters, let me give you a little, little quick um, theology lesson here. You have stepped outside of God's moral will, but you have not veered outside of his sovereign will. I cannot give you a big explanation on how your choices in real time match with God's sovereignty. It is a mystery that is very difficult to understand and to comprehend and to explain. But if you have made decision outside of his moral revealed will in the word of God, you're still not outside of God's sovereign will, which means that no matter how much you have blown it or I have blown it, God is still very much in charge. And I don't know about you, but for me, That gives me hope. So if you're experiencing the consequences of some of your decisions, know this, that abundant grace is available to start again and follow the Lord. God is a God of forgiveness. He's a God of multiple chances. He's a God that desires you to walk in his ways. And if you have veered outside of his moral will, your life is is not over. And what is so encouraging about reading the Word of God is there are many instances where His people veer outside of His revealed moral will. And the example we're going to see today is very clear in 1 Samuel chapter 12. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, the Israelites decided that they wanted a king like the rest of the nations. They wanted a king with a standing army, a king that would fight their battles, a king that they could rely on besides the Lord. And the problem with this request is that God was supposed to be their king. That was God's will for them, but they veered outside of his revealed will, and they chose and picked the king, and God acquiesced to their decision. And what we'll see for Israel is we're seeing the same for us. There is abundant grace available to start again and follow the Lord. And as we look at 1 Samuel 12, we notice that this is Samuel's farewell address. He's passing off the scene. He'll be dead soon. And there's a transition going on here from the time of the judges to the time of the reign of the kings. God was supposed to be their king, but they rebelled and asked for a king, and now they're going to have this reign of earthly kings. But God is not done ruling his people. And he still intends to be their true king. And what we have here in chapter 12 is Samuel addressing the nation. As he's passing off the scene, he's going to say, you've been foolish. You have veered outside of God's will. 
But God still offers you abundant grace to start again. Now, before I jump into chapter 12, understand this. As Samuel's addressing them for one last time, he's basically going to tell them this. Don't play the blame game. Israel, if you're to move forward from your foolish decision, you've got to own your sin. And I'll bring that same message to you today. If you have veered outside of God's moral will, don't blame anyone else but yourself. Because until you own your sin, there'll be no moving forward. Are you ready for this? Bonus day. We're going to cover a whole chapter. When's the last time you covered a whole chapter in 1 Samuel? You're like, well, last week. Yeah, you're right. All right, here we go. Chapter 12, verse 1. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you've said to me and have made a king over you. People wanted a king, like all the other nations, with a standing army and power structures. It was a sinful request. Samuel's like, you want a king? Here, have a queen. But he says, that's on you and not me. Verse 2. And now behold, the king walks before you. There he is. And I'm old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Instead of crying out for a king to be God, they wanted an earthly king and solution. Once again, Samuel is saying, that was your choice. That's on you, not me. Now, what we're going to have here is Samuel basically saying, I have been a leader of character. The fact that you have a king is not my failure, but it is your failure. Look at verse 3. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I will restore it to you. Samuel's a great leader with great character. He did not use his position for personal gain. He was not like a crooked politician who defrauded or oppressed others, but he was a man of character, and the people knew it. Verse 4. They said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. Do you see what's going on here? Samuel has led Israel with outstanding character. The people do not have a leadership problem. The people have a heart problem. Sometimes when you veer outside of God's moral will revealed in his word, you will tend to blame shift. And one of the, 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 the places you may point the finger is at me, right? The pastor or the church or the elders or the leadership or the people. You will, might explain that you're falling away from the Lord or your poor choices are to be attributed to the leaders in your church. It's a blame shifting. It's, and, and, and Samuel's like, dude, don't, don't blame me. This is on you. And I want to tell you this. As I interact with people, they may say things like, you know, 
my kids, they, they would really be following the Lord now if, if you just had a better youth ministry. If, you're, if you just would take care of our children better, then they wouldn't have fallen away from the Lord. If you would just had a better program. And, and, and when, I, when I hear that, I, I'm like, okay, look, I'm not perfect. Our church is not perfect. Our elders are not perfect. But your drift is on you. And when, earlier in my ministry, when, when people would fall away from the Lord, I used to get so heartbroken and think, okay, what could I have done different? And I'm certainly not a perfect leader, but I, I don't own that anymore. I don't, I don't own that. I don't say, oh, it was all on me. No, I'm not perfect. Elders are not perfect. Church is not perfect. But your drift is your drift. What I'm trying to get at is that when you drift away, make decisions away from the Lord, don't point the finger at the church. Point the finger at yourself. In fact, don't point the finger at anyone. Own your sin. Own your drift. Own your decisions outside of the will of God. Don't say, well, you know, if my spouse would have loved me more, but have been more encouraging, then I wouldn't have made this decision. No, no, own your sin. And, and students, don't say, well, my parents, if my parents would have raised me better, I wouldn't have. Don't. Own your sin. And parents with your kids, say, my kids weren't so messed up, I would have a... No, own your sin. If you're making decisions outside of the will of God, it is on you. Don't point the finger at anyone else. That's kind of what Samuel's getting at here. Because here's the deal. You will not move forward until you own your sin. You cannot make decisions outside of the will of God and say it was someone else's fault. There's no way you can do that and move forward at the same time. So don't point the finger anywhere else. I know a lot of bad things may have happened to you, but point the finger at yourself. Own your sin. It's the only way to move forward. He's also going to tell them, don't point the finger at God. Don't say it's God's fault. And and he gives them a little history lesson here of how faithful God has been to them in the past. Look at verse 6. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. Samuel's like, let me tell you something. God has been so faithful. Let me tell you how faithful he's been. Listen up, Israel. Verse 8. When Jacob went to Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. When the people were impressed in Egypt, we know this story. God delivered them through Moses and Aaron. But the people rebelled again. Verse 9. But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them, and they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baal and the Ashtoreth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. Here's the cycle. You ready for this? Israel would sin. God would punish them. They would cry out. God would deliver them. It's, a, it's, it's cyclical, right? They would sin. 
God would punish them, they'd cry out, and then God would deliver them. He would punish them with people like Sisera, the commander of the Canaanite army. He would punish them with the Philistines or the king of Moab. Then they would say, we have sinned. And then God would send a deliverer like Gideon or Jebubal, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel. The Israelites had no need for an earthly king to deliver them. When they were under oppression, they were to cry out to the only king. You are the only king forever. They were to cry out to God, and God would be the deliverer. He had a history of faithfulness with his people. And yet, when this dude named Nahash came up against them, something switched. Like there was this flip of a switch. Rather than crying out to God, they said, this time around, we want an earthly king. Look at verse 12. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God was your king. I don't know what's changed. I have no idea what has changed. I have no idea why this time around, rather than crying out to God, they're like, no, you know, this time we want an earthly solution. Give us an earthly king. I don't know what changed. Isn't it amazing that sometimes we can endure and persevere and bear so much and turn to the Lord in prayer and turn to the Lord in prayer, but then after a certain amount of time, we crack. And there's like a a flip of a switch And we start making choices that go outside of the will of God. And it's like you can't explain why it's happening. You're just like, you know what? I've I've done it for too long. I, I feel too much pressure. And then you make decisions that go outside the will of God. You're cracked. And when that happens, sometimes God will say, okay, you want that? Have it. Let's see how it works out for you. Israel, you want a king? Like, okay, here you go. Here's your king. Let me know how that goes. And that's what God did. You want a king? Here's your king. Look at verse 13. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. Want a king? Good. Here's your king. If things don't go so well under the king, don't blame God. Point the finger right at yourself. If you have made decisions outside of the moral revealed will of God, do not blame God. Do not point the finger at God. If you are suffering the consequences for your options that you have chosen for power and security and love that did not work out, don't say, God, why'd you let that happen? And he'll say, that's what you wanted? You wanted options outside of me. I gave them to you. The consequences are yours, and the fault lies with you. Until you own your decisions as your sin, there'll be no moving forward. You heard earlier that we are having a men's retreat three weeks away. And the way it has worked out so far, we have a men's retreat about every 10 years. Chances are most of you were not at the last one, right? Some of you were like in elementary school, and you were not even a man yet. 
So let me tell you what happened at this last retreat. There were some men who got up in front and they gave their testimonies. And they were talking about how they made choices outside of the moral will of God. Some of them made choices of sexual morality that has just blown up their lives. Others were very deceitful in their relationships. And others made some financial decisions that just destroyed their families. But what you found in these men's testimony through a lot of tears was not a pointing of the finger at someone else. They're not saying I had daddy issues, I had mommy issues. They're not saying I had spouse issues or I had career issues. They're not saying this is why I did it. They're saying, you know what? It's my sin. And they were owning it. And until you own your drifting, your veering outside of God's will, there'll be no moving forward. But I, what I loved about these men, and many of them I, have, I still know 10 years later, one of the biggest encouragement is as completely wrecked as they were and felt at the time, 10 years later, there has been so much joy and confessing so much joy and restoration, so much hopefulness. If you have veered outside of God's will and you feel like you have ruined your life and all is over with, that is not the case. There is hope of moving forward in God's abundant grace. Let's start to move forward a little bit here. Let's look at the way forward. Verses 14, 15. Samuel says, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. I like how the king's involved here, right? It's like, it's too late to unking yourself. <laughs> You've already made that choice. All right, that's the deal you got. And it's like for some of you, you've already made that choice. You have some of these consequences. You can't unking yourself. You can't get out of it. But there is a way forward, and the way forward is one of obedience, it will be well with you, or one of rebellion. Now, before God moves forward with the really clear specifics of the way forward, he wants them to make sure they understand their sin. And the way that he does that is he scares them to death. I really like this. Watch him just scare them with the mighty act of his power. Look at verse 16. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, and asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. What's going on here? It's wheat harvest. It's May, June. The rainy season was done. And in the midst of the done rainy season, Samuel calls on thunder and rain. And, and God sends down this visible demonstration of his anger 
against their wickedness. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great. And the people hear God loud and clear, and the people are scared to death. Look at verse 19. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. Boom. Write that in your margin. Boom. (laughs) There it is. That's what we're waiting for. It's that confession. It's that owning it. We may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. It's so good. That is owning their sin. And what God is showing them, that his anger and his wrath is against their sin. They have stepped outside of the revealed moral will of God. And they see that their sin is in need of punishment. And until that you see that your sin is in need of punishment, you're really not going to think it's a big deal. You think God's up in heaven going, you know, I'll just let that slide. I'll let that slide. I'll let that slide. What you do, I'll let that slide. But the reality is that your sin deserves the wrath and anger and the punishment of God to send you to hell forever. The reality clearly laid out in the Bible, and yet God in mercy intervenes, sends his son, pours out his wrath and anger on his son Jesus in your place. And through faith in Christ, you don't get that wrath, anger, hell forever. You get forgiveness and grace. So there's bonus here, a huge bonus to owning our sin and receiving forgiveness through Jesus. Once you own your sin and you repent, then you can start to move forward. And that's what we have in the remaining here. God's not going to be scaring them, pouring out his wrath, showing them how mighty he is for the rest of this chapter. He's going to show them, look, there is a way forward here. You have blown it. It's time to move forward. And look at the three components here moving forward. Let's start in verse 20 and 21. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Don't you like how they keep repeating this? It was you. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. God, he's showing them a way forward here, walking with God. So here's component number one. No more empty pursuits. No more empty pursuits. Did you see it there? It says, the command is to serve the Lord with all your heart and not to pursue empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. The same exhortation comes to you and I as well. Empty pursuits got you into your mess. You must develop a pattern of walking with the Lord. And I'm going to kind of tip you off into something here. If you've made some decisions of uh, pursuing idols uh, outside of the will of God, obviously, stepping outside of his moral will, I'm going to just kind of tip you off here. One of the things that you will notice in your own life, I notice in mine, is that when I'm battling against an idol that I want to throw off, too many times I will get rid of that idol 
and I'll switch my affections onto another idol. My brothers and sisters, don't switch idols. Don't pursue these empty pursuits. I have a three-year-old and four-year-old, and and what they do, they like to play with toys, and if they each have a toy and they want the other person's toy, they'll say, switch, switch, and they'll switch toys. And then after a while, they're like, I want that one back, switch, switch. And they'll say, switch, 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 switch. And then after a while, they they start fighting. The switch, switch ends because one of them wants to keep their idol, a toy. And so they, they keep going back and forth. With a switch, switch. And, and I say to you, don't, don't do this switch, switch with idols. I, I, I've known men steeped in sexual morality finally get victory over that area only to switch over to living a life of just excessive exercise. It's all they focus on. Like, I'm just going to exercise all the time. I'm going to be lifting weights. I'm going to run all this marathons. And, and, like, they're just ignoring other responsibilities. They just did a switch, switch. I see it in, in families for fathers. Any dads in here just lazy with your kids? You're slothful. You're not raising your kids in the Lord. And so the dad's like, oh, that's an idol. i got to stop. And so what they do, they switch to legalism. It's time for legalism. It's just a switch, switch. And for those of you who are students and you're, you're lazy and you're playing games all the time, you're not tending to what you need to attend to, you're slothful, right? And you're like, that's an idol. And so you just switch, and all you do is study all the time. You ignore people. You're like, I'm just going to be all about studying all the time. It's just a switch, switch. You're just switching idols. And yet what God is saying to them is no more empty pursuits. And the biblical way to understand this from the New Testament, rather than switch, switch, is a terminology of put off and put on, right? Put off sin. Put off empty pursuits. But in its place, put on righteousness, holiness, godly living, serving others. Because if you just throw off sin and you don't put righteous living in its place, serving and seeking God, you'll just do a switch, switch. Throw off one idol, one will take its place. No more empty pursuits. Empty pursuits got you into making these decisions in the first place. No more empty pursuits. Samuel continues. Look at verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. God will not throw off his people. Why? Did you see it there in 22? For his great name's sake. Another way is to say, for the sake of his own reputation, for his glory, for the sake of his fame, he will still pursue his people in love. It has pleased him, if you notice again, it's pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Too many times we think the Old Testament has no grace in it. This is dripping with grace. They chose a king besides a true king, and God's like, I still want you. (laughs) I, I want you for my glory, and it pleases me to choose you for myself. This is the grace of God in the Old Testament, and the people, when they should be annihilated for their sin, they get his grace instead. This is a second component to moving forward. 
is we need to be amazed by God's grace. And I, and I wonder for my own life, does God's grace rock and astound you? Does it, does it just, when you blow it, step out as well, does His grace just blow you away that He forgives you when you repent? Yesterday I was, I was reading the Chicago Tribune on my phone, and it was talking about, I don't know if you saw this, uh, just a few miles from our church up north uh, here, there was a prostitution sting where I guess the, the cops set it up a prostitution sting, and several men were busted. And I, I, I don't know why they do this, but they put their mug shots on there. And I was thinking, I hope as I scroll through these mug shots, I will not find any EBFers. So nope, 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 nope. Phew. Phew. But what if I did? I've been here long enough to know that many people in here have blown it and done ridiculous things, right? But I also noticed that those who have fallen greatly, sometimes publicly, tend to be the most humbled and amazed at God's grace. And the reality is that should be every single one of us. You were not on the mugshots yesterday, but you've done something, and you consistently have done things before a holy God that falls way short, and we should be amazed that he saves any of you. Why in the world would he save me? Why would he save you? It's his grace, and we're to be amazed by his grace. Remember that woman in the New Testament who was a sinful woman? She's crying. She's wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, and Jesus says, you know what? Forgive him much, love much. Blown away by grace. That's what I want me. That's what I want for you. Blown away by grace. I don't need to have my mugshot in the tribune, or you don't need to have your mugshot in the tribune. We need to be blown away that he would save any of us. The way forward is a way of grace. Finish it up. Finish it up, verse 23, till the end. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Do you see the way forward there? Do you see it? Look at verse 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. Component number three of moving forward is faithfully serve the faithful one. You veered outside his moral will for your life. You repent, throw away worthless things. You're moving forward, faithfully serving the faithful one. And I don't want to get all spiritual on you and and think somehow you're going to walk out of here and you're going to start walking in this newness of life. My brothers and sisters, I, I, I don't want to leave anything to, let's just say, call it chance. I think if you're going to consistently walk and follow the faithful one, you have got to have a plan. For those of you who are not involved in a body of Christ around believers that are in your life, you have no plan. And you will veer off God's moral will for your life again because you have no one encouraging you, holding you accountable. 
if you have no plan of getting in the Word and praying and seeking the face of God, I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I would bet that you're going to veer off from following the Lord soon. If you've not made boundaries in your life, where you will not go here, you will not look at that, you will not do this, you will not, if you have none of those boundaries, it's just going to be pretty soon where you're veering off the moral will of God and you're stuck again. What is your plan to consistently follow the faithful one? You've got to have a plan. All of us have branched outside of God's will for our lives. But there is this grace that has been poured out to start again. May this hit you hard that there is abundant grace available, abundant grace available to start again and follow the Lord. Now, yesterday I just scrapped my ending here that I was going to say because I'm really struck that God would forgive his wicked people for rejecting him, right? He still forgave them. So there's a way forward. And it reminded me of this New Testament story that's way too familiar to you <laughs> and to me, but it's abundant grace of God. And it's a story of the, the son who took his dad's, his portion of his inheritance from his dad. Remember this story? Prodigal son, famously called, takes inheritance, goes off, squanders it, reckless living, prostitutes, living a life of sin, ends up working with pigs, has nothing and thinks, you know, I should go back to my dad, tell him I've sinned against heaven and against him, and maybe he'll let me be one of his hired hands. So he goes back to his dad. He's ready to give his big spill of how he's been sinful, but he'll work for his dad. And the dad's like this. Welcome home. My son who was lost is now found. Let's have a feast. And there is this great forgiveness and grace and embrace for the one who has come back. You may think that whatever you've done outside the moral will of God has totally ruined and wrecked your life forever. And in shame, you cannot come back. And if you come back to God, you've got to do a lot of good deeds for him and be his hired hand. And God's like, come on, come on, come on home. He's got the open arms, embrace, feasting, and through forgiveness in Jesus all those who repent and put their faith in Christ can be forgiven. You can come back to the open arms of the Father and be accepted no matter what you've done through repentance and faith in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that that the man or woman here will will not be so ashamed and so embarrassed what they've done that they don't want to come back to you. And I pray the same for the man or woman here who just keeps on pointing that finger at other people or even at you for the choices they've made outside of your will. Just show them, Lord, there is grace and forgiveness and mercy in the cross where wrath has been poured out and forgiveness has been offered. And may we all find ourselves coming home to the arms of the Father, being amazed by your grace and resting in your finished work of the cross for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.